another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Freaking Aaron Wiseman, and I am here today with another AMWA Spotlight physician. This is Dr. Kim Templeton. She is the first and only female orthopedic surgeon in her organization, and she is here to school us today about speaking up and knowing that everyone can affect change. She's passionate about motivating all of us to know that we can affect change and also that we need to start taking a harder look at what it's like to be a senior woman in medicine. So here we go. Here's Dr. Templeton and stick around afterwards for my kick of encouragement. Dr. Kim Templeton, it is so great to have you here on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate the opportunity to do this. Absolutely. Tell us about the fabulous work that you're doing in the world. Well, uh, it's kind of no, hard to know where to start with some of this. I am currently a tenured full professor of orthopedic surgery at the University of Kansas in Kansas City. It, as we know, there is a leaky pipeline of women, especially in academia. So there are not many tenured full professors who are women, and there are especially not very many women tenured professors in orthopedic surgery. Uh, I think I was number 16 or something like that in the United States, and there have been several who have followed me. Um, so that's, that's my day job. I'm also the uh, residency program director for our orthopedic residents. Um, I've been actively involved at the university. I have at some point chaired every major committee within the School of Medicine. I am also um, have been actively involved in our state medical society ever since I started practice and currently sit on what we call our board of trustees and have done so for many, many years. Um, I was appointed to our state medical board, our Board of Healing Arts in 2008 by then Governor Kathleen Sebelius, who you may have heard of subsequent to her, her work as governor and in her work at HHS. Um, I am one of the few that have been consistently reappointed by both Republican and Democratic governors, so I try to remain politically neutral. Um, and I'm also a past, uh, past chair of the, or president of, of the medical board. I am a past president of our state uh, orthopedic society, was the first woman to be president of one of the five regional orthopedic societies, actively involved within the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. I've previously sat on their council on advocacy, their council on research, and I'm currently one of the delegates and past chairs of the orthopedic section council at the American Medical Association. I am past president of the U.S. Bone and Joint Initiative, which is a nonprofit organization of over 50 organizations that is trying to improve musculoskeletal care in the United States through research and education. So I was the first woman orthopedic, first and only still uh, female orthopedic surgeon to be president of that group. And that's a huge group when you start getting 50 other organizations together and uh, have held, also held various positions within the American Medical Women's Association, including president of that in 2016 to 17. Um, I sit on the osteoporosis expert panel uh, for uh, NCQA and sit on a variety of committees at the National Quality Forum. Who girl? You so are my kind in of a woman. <laughs> Thank you. There's always something to do and always something to change. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why you're bringing to the podcast today the keywords trying to affect change. Tell the audience a little yes. bit more about why you pick this. Well, and as I mentioned, so those, what I just listed are, are a bunch of titles and a bunch of organizations, obviously organizations near and dear to my heart, uh, titles and positions that I enjoyed fulfilling, but I don't want a title or a position unless I can use that to affect change. So it's less about getting the title and then figuring out what you're going to do. For me, it's figuring out what I want to do, where I think things can be improved, getting, getting other people to support that, and then being okay with having the title, because then with that title, that brings in additional gravitas, gets you heard in other rooms where perhaps you would not be heard before, and allows you to affect change. So again, those are a bunch of titles. I've used every one of them to try to do something different in how do we affect change, whether it's during my work as a, again, as a member of the Orthopedic Section Council for the AMA, bringing up a variety of resolutions, which then can lead, if they're passed, lead to AMA policy. Uh, one of the things that I brought up through the AMA was a resolution, which is now policy, to expand the definition of quote-unquote women's health, to expand it beyond bikini medicine so that it includes all conditions and all organ systems for which there are differences between men and women and risk factors or presentation or uh, treatment outcomes, et cetera. That was after quite a bit of politicking and more than I had anticipated, um, was passed by the House of, of Delegates of the AMA and is now AMA policy. Um, working with the U.S. Bone and Joint Initiative to, at, that, at the time when I first started working with them in 2004, they wanted uh, some patient, a patient education initiative. My thought was we really needed to, if we're going to affect change, need to have a public education initiative and get to people with especially lifestyle modifications before they become patients. So developed a whole series of public education initiatives on bone health and arthritis, et cetera working um, within AMWA to develop the wellness initiative so that we can start looking at burnout since it's more common among women physicians or at least reported more commonly. And then through that develop the collaboration with the National Academy of Medicine, which resulted on the gender differences and burnout paper on which I was a senior author that came out last year. And so yet all of those titles I'm using to try to do something, but it's, it's looking at the situation, looking at what's going on around around me, and not just seeing issues that affect me, but what what else, especially what's affecting everybody else, whether it's from a patient standpoint or patient care standpoint, it's what physicians and other healthcare professionals are facing. What is the issue, and then how do we get a group of people together to talk about the issue, figure out what's going on, and then take the next step to affect change. And I think this is something that anybody can do. Anybody can affect change. It's having the conviction to speak up, especially challenging for women because we have issues with imposter syndrome. We have issues with stereotype perception. We don't often want to speak up because we're afraid that we're going to be wrong and people are going to tell us that we're wrong. Um, but it's trying to overcome that and figure and finding your voice and speaking up because they're all things that we see on a day-to-day -day basis where we can affect change and if nobody else speaks up it may be that they're having the same issues as we are and they're not comfortable speaking up 
or it may be that we have a unique perspective and we need to bring that out and it may may help people think a little bit differently. I mean, one of the things that I've been working on, I, I said on our uh, state governor's task force to look at opioid and substance misuse. So working through that and working through the AMA, I have tried to initiate this dialogue of the differences between women and men in opioid use and, and addiction from like even one small finite thing when you prescribe a woman an opioid or if you're seeing a woman who is overdosed on opioids and so is using illicit opioids can we talk about getting a pregnancy test at that point rather than investing the money and time to treat neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome why don't we look at prevention which means if you know a woman's going to be on opioid or has overdosed on an opioid maybe that's when we need to start looking at getting a pregnancy test putting her on a contraceptive if she's not pregnant referring her to prenatal care if she is but that to me seems like something pretty obvious to do but it's interesting then when you discuss that, you either get people that give you pushback or people that have this sort of deer in a headlight look and eventually come to the realization that's not a bad idea, but it's just something that people hadn't thought about. And it's not that, you know, I'm not saying that I'm any more insightful than anybody else, but it's just, I've kind of learned over the course of the years that you've got to speak up. Not every idea is going to gain traction, but eventually something is going to stick. From all of your experiences in leadership roles and over your career, how did you first start to learn to voice your opinion and stance? That was really hard. I'm like the poster child for imposter syndrome. <laughs> so it, it was hard learning to speak up. Um, but eventually you just have to. There, you reach a point where you see enough things that you think need to be changed change isn't happening other people aren't taking on the mantle of the change agents and so you just suck it up and try to squelch the voices in your head that tell you you don't know what you're doing and just go for it and just do it um, you also have to learn to pick your audience um, when you are trying to affect change i wouldn't start with the people that you think are going to be your greatest opponents, but, but go with those that may have similar issues or similar mindsets and at least start gaining some traction. Because you can't affect change as, as a single person. You can start change, but you need, you need to have your group around you to help affect change. And so it was understanding that I could if I spoke up, but then the need to get the people to join forces to try to figure out what we're going to do and then the next step is then to get the people that are going to be the most resistant to change. The only way to get people resistant to change, I think, to participate in change is get them on board with the planning process. Don't have a group of like-minded individuals decide on something and then tell everybody else how it's going to be because that's when people are really gonna dig in their heels if they don't agree. They're not invested in the process and they're going to tell you every reason why it can't happen if you get them on board earlier and have them part of the planning process that's the time to have them tell you why they think something isn't going to work address it at that standpoint and then they've got some investment and are probably actually going to help you do whatever it is that you're attempting to do another area of mine in trying to affect change is looking at some of the issues faced by senior women physicians that means women physicians over the age of 60 
I've been working with colleagues here at the University of Kansas, Dr. Ann Walling and, and Carrie Nilsson, to look at these issues. We did a national survey study of women across the country. And it's interesting, some of the findings that we have there is only one study that looked at this population previously, and that was many, many decades ago. And it was a good study for the time, but really didn't look at the issues. It just showed that women physicians continue to practice as they got older. Our study was to actually figure out what they faced for two, two prong purposes. One was so that we can see what we can do to improve the careers of women who are in that age group. But also, what can we do to change medicine to improve the careers of all the younger women who are coming along who eventually will be in those age categories? And so the things that we found are, one, that sexual harassment is a career-long issue. It becomes less and becomes somewhat different as a woman gets older, but it's still there. Again, an indication that sexual harassment is about power and maintaining the status quo. It's not about sexual attraction. And for older women, you're adding then sexual harassment on top of gender bias and then age bias. And so it becomes a much more complicated issue for women physicians. The other thing that we found is about 20% of women in this age category, even among those who are still working as physicians, are still the primary caretaker for someone. It may be an ill child, an ill spouse, aging parents. And so what I'm trying to do with that information is working with all of these different groups, including AMWA, is to change the conversation from maternity leave and parental leave, which is important. We need to continue to work on that. But look at, especially for women, career-long family leave so that we're continuing to, to help women in their careers, not just when they're pregnant or right after they have children, but throughout their careers, because at some point during their career, they're going to be taking care of someone else at home. And as we know, women do 70% of the work at home, and that includes caring for other family members. That doesn't magically get better just because your children start school. This is a career-long issue, and we need to be working with hospitals and health systems to understand that so that women do have career-long family leave and they're not under the constant work-home conflict thing of always feeling like they're in the wrong place. Absolutely. I think this is such vital information that we we absolutely must be digging into because like you said, it's not yes. isolated to five years in a woman's life. Like I think I can speak for a majority of female physicians out there. We came into this career because we want to help and heal others. And why wouldn't that be our lifelong mantra? But like you mentioned, several of the barriers that come up that really do inhibit us just because of our sex. Right. Right. And, and they don't get better as we get older. There, I think there's some con misconception on the part of younger physicians that if you're just, and it was certainly a misconception that I had, that if you just practice long enough and hard enough, things got better. Well, if the systems don't change, then it doesn't necessarily get better. And systems are only going to change when we recognize what the issues are bring that to someone's attention and then try to help them affect the change that is, is going to be beneficial. Right. And you're a part of our AMWA Spotlight Series. So tell me a little bit about what AMWA means to you. AMWA, I think, is an amazing organization. As you know, it's been around for over 100 years as a networking and support organization for women in medicine, um, now branching out into other areas such, and, such as sex and gender medicine. I think the advantage of AMWA is that it 
is an environment with many, many similarly minded individuals. I wouldn't say like minded necessarily because we don't all think the same, but we do have some similar interests. And so it's a place where you can bring up new ideas um, are not going to be shot down. But on the other hand, people are going to be very open and try to tell you where why your ideas aren't going to work, but then also help in trying to address that. And so it's been a place in which I've been able to work with projects that other people are working on, but also try to launch some new initiatives such as the wellness initiative and try to do something that's a little bit different. And it's it's a it's an environment in which you can do that. And it also has the standing within the medical community to then reach out to other organizations to form partnerships. Right. I know AMWA has been a big supporting part in my life, and I'm so excited to spotlight many female physicians who are in AMWA that we aren't alone and that we can have a pack. And it's not like, well, like you said, it's not that we all believe the same, but that together we are better. Right. Right. And that's, it's really the, we need to have more women leaders in medicine. It's the only way to bring the diversity that we need to the field to sort of affect change from the top down. And AMWA is a great place to hone those skills and also provide entree to other organizations where you can also have a voice. Well, Dr. Timbleton, you certainly are a change maker. I will, I'll be on your team any day of the week. Thank you. I appreciate it. And congratulations on all of your work, too. was done in partnership with AMWA, the American Medicals Women's Association. And I have a quick message from my personal connection with AMWA that I want to share with you. The American Medical Women's Association was founded in 1915, and it's the oldest multi-specialty organization for women in medicine. I served as president in 2015, and it was fascinating to have women from all walks of life and in all types of positions be active members of AMWA to hear their stories. From the members, I reaffirm my decision that medicine is not my career, but my passion. I understand the dedication and determination of the women that not only have gone before me and to whom I owe a huge debt of gratitude for paving the way, but to those that are my peers and those that come after me. This is Teresa Rohr Kirchwaber. I served as the president in 2015. We ask you to join us in the American Medical Women's Association and encourage your continued enthusiasm for your career as a physician in medicine. Join us at www.amwa-doc.org. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Roar Kirchgraber, for that quick message about AMWA and the amazing work and how everyone can get tuned into it. It really is a fabulous organization for women in medicine. All right, let's get into our kick of encouragement today. Gosh, wasn't that such a great conversation with Dr. Templeton? I feel like I just want to sit at her feet and absorb so much of the wisdom that she has. And one of the things that jumped out to me is when she talked about imposter syndrome and stereotype perceptions. Ladies, even guys out there, it doesn't always go away. Like, I still feel like as much of the work that I've been doing and recognizing when the imposter pops up in my head and naming it and doing the strategies with that, I want to encourage you and tell you this is normal. 
Like it is okay if you are having these thoughts of like, oh, I don't belong here. What's not okay is letting that hold you back any longer. Now that you know, now that you named what is happening within you, you no longer can sit in ignorance and just ignore it. And so with that, there are so many great resources, great mentors, great people out in the world, even in our space as physicians who are talking about imposter syndrome. And one that I want to promo and give a kick of encouragement to say, if you are struggling with this, your kick of encouragement is to do something about it. And here's a resource that you can have. So my friend and colleague and fellow coach, Dr. Kara Pepper, has worked her ass off to get some CME accreditation specifically around imposter syndrome, perfectionism, second victim syndrome, and other topics so that she can help, and I guess we could say we as a whole, can help ourselves become healthier. No more sitting through boring CME that you're not going to use and that you're playing on your phone while you're doing it. Do this CME. I'm going to put the link in the bio for you to check out because I think it's a topic that we all should be required to take at some point. So if you are ready to affect change, if you are ready to step out of being small and stuck and, and put in the corner of a stereotype, kick of encouragement again today is to step out and to speak out and to seek these resources like the two women that I mentioned, like the American Medical Women's Association, there is a way for you. You are not alone and it can and will be better. You just have to ask for help. You just have to seek out these resources. You just have to do it. Well, friend, I am charged up. I am ready to go. I'm so excited that you listened all the way through on this episode. And I just want to encourage you, like always, your life, your calling, your pulse 